Yeah, so I, I'm going to transition just yeah, slightly, but great. I'm I'm curious as to so we just read that we're not to proclaim with eloquent wisdom, right. and I think in a in a modern context, forgive me for pulling this into our modern context and changing the words a little bit, but I think what Paul's really trying to say is that we should not be going and preaching the gospel through mm. flashing lights on a stage, through <laughs> fog machines, through putting songs Amen. in a specific order. And so l- let's even touch on the way that oh, the church yes. tries to function as though the church is the place where evangelism is done. <sighs> yes. Church is not where evangelism is done. Amen. Church is a place where discipleship happens of true believers. Evangelism happens outside the church. Discipleship happens within the church. And so let's touch on that. And even oh, just the idea yes. of the, the sinner's prayer oh. and altar calls and things like that, yeah. which I think, I mean, I would say that altar calls are basically the Protestant version of penance. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that is so I'm going to well go said. rededicate. I'm going to go <laughs> rededicate, get rejustified. It's kind of this. Yeah. And we blame the Catholics and say, you guys, and then we go and do the same thing. <laughs> right. Great so, point. Great point. So let, let's just touch on like the modern church, mm. the way that we approach evangelism, even yeah. worship and things like that, which all play into that. Right. And I think that, I mean, how often have you heard the, the idea the church is a hospital for the sick, you know? Right. I would say that that's a horrible representation yeah. of what the church is, but well let, said. Let touch on that, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I think too, just when we when we re- reject total depravity, I think that's why we have this contemporary smoke machine, you know, laser kind of thing, and because I think a lot of people aren't realizing that a lot of those people are rejecting God, and I think another thing too is. Is and, and I love, too, that you had said it, where a lot of people for evangelism, it's, hey, do you want to come to church with me? Yeah. And that's it. When that is not evangelism. Right. Now, hey, that's a great thing. We should invite non-Christians to church. But, you know, the, the church, even though we want to invite non-Christians, the church isn't for the goats. Right. You know, the church is, is it's not only for the sheep. The church is the sheep. You know, the church is the Christian. Right. You know, right. And, and I think because of this pragmatic culture that we have, I think that is just such a a destructive thing. Mm. And when we get back to what the word says and we see, no, unbelievers have a hatred for God. They have a suppression of the truth. Yes. That completely changes it where I was, I remember years ago being on a a youth retreat and it was, there were several different churches that came together. And I'll never forget, uh, there was this guy who stood up and he looked throughout the crowd and he was, and it was a very emotional event. It was like, there were like 13 worship songs hmm. before the mm-hmm. talk and eight after kind of right. thing, you yeah. know? <laughs> and the typical person, you know, the first song, their hands were here. Yeah. The second song, their hands were here. Right. The third song, maybe they were, you know, on their knees. Yeah. And maybe the fourth, they were rolling, you yeah, know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. And so it's just, as that happened, but... Non-denominational <laughs> churches all of a sudden becoming charismatic. Exactly. That's <laughs> so true. And this worship leader, and, and I'm sure, he was he meant well sure. but he stands up in in front of all these youth and he goes i just want you to know you have you have such a a, a zeal for god and you you worship god better than your parents mm. and so when when sunday comes you need to go in there and you need to show them how to worship and years later most of them have fallen away mm. and so where he was in this moment of emotionalism it turns out he was preaching to the chaff mm. 
And, and yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. When you treat church as a place for the sick, a hospital mm-hmm. for the sick, what you end up having is you have church services that end up trying to cater the worship, cater the sermons mm-hmm. to the lost. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with a church that's full of reprobates yes. and Christians who are not discipled and have no clue why they believe what they believe or how to mm-hmm. defend it. You just end up with a bunch of baby Christians and a bunch of reprobates. And that is why, big announcement, that is why I believe that evangelicalism Mm. in America is on the decline, is because of that. We have have abused what the church actually is and changed it. Mm Mm-hmm. Making sure my computer yeah. wasn't going to sleep there. Yeah. I thought I told yeah. you three hours. You're not supposed to go to sleep yet. <laughs> First in-person podcast with a guest. I'm, yeah. I'm watching all my technology. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. But yeah, that is so well said. And I think just, you know, as we're having just this conversation about the church, I just think that there's there's so much emotionalism. There's so much... Um, yeah, as we've talked just about the, the pragmatic way, mm. I just think that as we look at the, the church and, and as we look at the word, the word is clear that the, the church is about the believer. And, and I believe it was Spurgeon who, and I might be paraphrasing a bit, but Spurgeon said something like, we have a lot of churches where instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, we have clowns entertaining the goats. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is huge right now. That is, yeah, that is that is spot on. Yeah, and I th- I think that 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 is the fundamental problem with evangelism in America is we just we've lost sight of who we are in relationship to God, and because we've lost sight of that, we have taken it upon ourselves to convince people of the truth, and by truth, what we mean is watered down gospel, yeah, right, to appease. The reprobate mind. Why, exactly. why do we think that there are so many churches, mega churches that are so big? Like, should the gospel really have 15,000 people showing up every weekend and grabbing their popcorn and their meals before and bringing their coffee and going, oh, let's go? To me, I go, I, I just have to raise an eyebrow and go, is that really the gospel? Because well, if we're attracting so many people, mm-hmm. like I've even heard like a traditional like Anglican or Presbyterian mm-hmm. service I've even heard people say, oh, I would never go to there, that kind of place. Mm. But I love the mega church down the road. It's awesome. If you guys did church like that, I'd, I'd go. <laughs> and I'd go, somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them mm. that is attracted to well said. the gospel, right? that's not the true gospel. Yes, amen. It's not because amen. we have that distinction. A heart of stone cannot. Paul is so explicit that the flesh and the spirit cannot coexist yes. with one another. Amen. They're at war with one another. Mm. So if we believe that the flesh is appealing things of the spirit, mm. they're not things of the spirit. Yeah. And well vice said. versa. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I would say too that I, there's a great quote that uh, Paul Washer gives and and he has this great just kind of thing that he says about how you have a lot of these churches where the the true bride of Christ in these places with 15,000 people, mm. the true bride of Christ is starving to death. Mm. And where the pastors and the people, the, the business people, because in yeah. one sense, that's what's happened is instead of being men of a book, they've been, they've become men of uh, of business principles, yeah. of how to cater to, as Paul Washer said, 
catered to the carnal right and the the bride of christ is starving to death and i think too in those churches of fifteen thousand people not not to overstate but i'd say the majority of those people potentially have a false assurance and i think that's another reason why just as we see the word i have such a, a burden for those who are in those kinds of places is because I would say a watered-down gospel is no gospel at all. Amen. And a watered-down gospel does not save from the wrath of God. And Amen. it is through the, the true gospel. And so it's just, it's tragic when you have these mega churches. And, and there's definitely some really great churches. I believe MacArthur has like 8,000 people or so. Right. So there's there's some solid big churches. But but a lot of these mega churches, you have all of these people that are, you know, they're coming in and they're just consuming. You know, that they're just being... Right. Consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what makes me really sad too, is when I look into like a lot of these big churches, like you said, the false mm. assurance, it's very easy to have assurance when you're told that you're a wonderful person that God loves every <laughs> single Sunday, exactly. you know, like, Oh, great. You know? Yeah. And then when you go about your week and you're sinning up a storm and you come back and the same preacher says, God loves you exactly the way you are wow. week after week. Yeah, that'll do it in bringing about a false sense of assurance. But the problem is, like you said, instead of being men of the word, men of mm -hmm. the book, we have gone in different directions. Yeah. And when you read scripture, I cannot read a page of scripture without coming away with the idea that apart from Christ, I deserve nothing but judgment. Amen. Like, I see that on every single page Amen. of Scripture. Amen. And what's what's more beautiful than that, mm. like, that's a beautiful thought. I deserve the wrath of God. <laughs> the reason that that's beautiful mm. is that on every single page of Scripture, I see that God's mercy mm. is even greater than my, than my sin. Mm. And so... Amen. The times that I go, it's not looking good for me, I can also point and say, wow, and yet God has mercy. And this is literally every page of Scripture. You can go back to the Old Testament, and you're like, man, if I was God, I would have snuffed Israel out a long time ago. Oh, and yet here's God saying, you guys, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you all the way across into the promised land. And even though you guys screwed up everything, I'm still going to let your children enter the promised land. I'm still wow. not going to abandon oh. you just because you've Praise abandoned me and been oh unfaithful. Goodness. And this is just boom, 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 over and over again. You reach the New Testament, mm. and here you have the point where you're like, okay, after Malachi, it's probably over. Mm. No, God becomes flesh. Yes, He dies on a cross. Amen. He's buried, and he rises three days later and says, anyone who would believe in me Amen. will not perish. Yes. Like, yes, we need to emphasize depravity. Yes. 100% because without that, we can't see the beauty of the gospel. Mm. But I am just blown away mm. at how merciful God is Amen. on every page of Scripture. Amen. And so that just takes me back to the, well, it's not fair. Don't even say it's not fair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is the, the fact that God has mercy on any is just an unbelievable grace. Yes. Amen. And, and just even as you're sharing that, you know, so many people will say, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And what I would say is, how could a just God send anyone to heaven? And the reality mm. is through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That it is through believing in him, his His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, that he has done this for us. And, and yeah, that, that it is completely of of his mercy that we can, that we can have that forgiveness. Because I think, too, that the gospel 
just completely changes if someone is ever has a pessimistic mind. When we see the gospel, it just completely ends all pessimism. You know, because, uh, you know, as we see the word, I believe that everything short of hell is grace. Yes. And because we have Christ, it's like not only have we been spared of hell, but we have been given everything through Jesus Christ that we are now adopted as sons of God, as yes. children of God. And and just even kind of going back to of, of these these massive churches, the sad reality is that as they're sharing these watered down gospels, it is not a gospel of hope yeah. because they, they have no idea because of their sin, they don't realize that there is that forgiveness. And a lot of times it's just this kind of murky thing and it doesn't make sense. And another thing too, is we're talking about this whole thing of the, the secret church. The irony of it is, as we see in Romans three, it says no one seeks for God. And so it's like, <laughs> wait, if you have a secret church, how can you have a secret church when it clearly says that there no, are no secrets, secrets right. you know? And it's funny because I heard this story that apparently R.C. Sproul back, you know, years ago was at a, uh, was at a mega church, you know, one of those secret churches. And in the specific church he was at, the way that they did their philosophy of ministry was on Sundays, they would have their church for the unbelievers, if that's possible. And then on Wednesdays, they had their, their church specifically for the believers. And that's kind of how their church did it, where, you know, they saw Sunday as just outreach and is just for the seeker. And Wednesday is just for the believer. And R.C. Sproul was asked to speak on the Wednesday night to the believer. And he stands up before everyone and he goes, I want you to know something. You think that Sunday is the secret church, but Sunday's not the secret church. Wednesday's the secret church. And everyone's looking at each other like, what? He goes, because no one seeks for God unless they're born again. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing a bit, but right. <laughs> you know, it's just that reality of... It, it is only in the fact that you and I and those who listen who are believers are seeking after God. Once again, going back to his grace, it is all of his grace. Right. It is all of his mercy that he has had upon us to the praise of his glory. Amen. Yeah. There's an Augustine quote I really like that's been life-changing to me mm. um, where he says, if we stand, we stand by the grace of God. And if mm. we fall, we fall by our will. And I just think that it's such a profound reality because if God is in control of all things, if God can stop me from sinning and he mm. doesn't, obviously it's part of his purposes for sure. whatever reason. But I can't blame God for my sin. Amen. I can't look at God and say, this is because of you. It's mm. because of your predestination. Nor can I, if I choose to reject the gospel mm. and reject the grace of God, blame God for that when in the heart of, 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 of me as a person, I don't want God and I'm mm. running the other way. But then when it comes to salvation, mm. there's not a thing we can boast in for. If we stand, we stand by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. Yes. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful and what makes damnation so just yes. is nobody can blame god for for being in hell they can amen. only blame their sin amen and nobody can stand before god and and take any credit for their mm. salvation because yes. salvation is all of god amen and so regardless of if you're a calvinist a thomist or a <laughs> an augustinian yeah. as i would i would be in you know i think that those those three camps mm. all do a very good job in pointing out the reality that if we are christians mm. If we love God daily and seek after God daily, mm. we cannot say that we are actually the ones doing that in us. Amen. You know, and that and that's really I think what James is getting at. We were talking mm. a little bit about justification, yeah. justification and works and stuff. What are the works that are that are 
pouring from mm. us. Like, yes. why is that well necessary? Said. Why Amen. is that a necessary part of the Christian life? It's a necessary part of the Christian life because those are the works of Christ in us. Mm. Yes. And if Christ is in us, he will not leave us barren. Amen. Amen. So if we well don't have said. fruit, it's not because we're not doing enough. Right. It's because Christ is not in us. And if we are bearing <laughs> fruit, it's because we're in Christ, because Christ is the one producing the fruit Amen. in the first place. That is so well said. And see, I think that too, just as we're talking about, you know, the, the church and just a lot of this contemporary stuff is so many people have forgotten that true faith must bear fruit. And I think, too, that's where that wonderful connection between Romans and James, where you have Romans is the beginning of the kingdom where we're, we're justified by that faith, but then then that fruit is showing that we have truly been saved, that it is true faith. Right. And just the, the reality that, in, and I think, too, that this kind of easy believism and this false assurance, people need to realize that if they do not see fruit in their life, then they must repent and trust in Christ for the first time. It, it must be a faith that is growing. And, you know, that growth might, people might be in different places. It might take time for certain fruits to be born right. in a person. But if someone has, has quote unquote, trusted in Christ and, and their life does not change in a certain period of time, they need to have that healthy self-examination. Right. Well, Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. And so, you know, obviously we don't want to make the mistake of looking to the fruit as right. the basis of our Amen. salvation, Amen. right? But the fruit is the evidence yes. of our salvation. Amen. And so if we are not bearing fruit, and, and again, I think it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes because we can't we can't look at somebody and say, "Hey, if you're struggling with sin, you're you right." You're, Amen. I struggle with sin. Oh, I know you struggle here. with sin. Yeah. We all struggle with Amen. sin. In fact, that's a fruit that someone right. who someone who doesn't realize Some, they exact, struggle, yep. they're you know, so yeah, well said, right, absolutely. Right. And so again, mm. even having that, I don't want to sin. Mm. That is evidence of fruit in your life Amen. that Christ is producing, that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And I think Amen. we sometimes forget as Christians, like there have been times where I've sinned and I've gone. Oh my goodness! Like I, some I didn't really feel a whole lot when I did that. That was mm. that's not a good thing. Mm. And I'm I'm contemplating what does this mean about? Mm. But I, I forget somebody who does not have Christ. There is nothing when they sin. Yes. And and as Christians, we always feel a prick when we sin. There's always something Amen. that goes that was not right. That yes. was not aligned with who Christ has made you. And ultimately, that's. The difference between being under the law and not being under the law is yeah. the idea that we're not under condemnation anymore. Amen. And so there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Mm. And so the fruit that we bear is evidence of our salvation. Mm. And the sin that we have mm. is there to remind us of the grace of God in our yes. lives. And the grace of God is the very means by which we can conquer sin and overcome sin daily in that process of sanctification. Amen. And somebody who's not a believer is not even going to feel that remorse or that desire to yes. repent since repentance is granted by God himself. Yes. Amen. So well said. And I, I might be paraphrased, but it, there's that one phrase, and it's something like Samuel Yusuf et, et peccator, that we're, we're simultaneously justified and yet sinning because... Yeah. That is a part of it. And I would say, too, that where there, that hatred of sin is that it is a fruit. And I, I would even say that hatred that we don't hate the sin enough 
can also be a fruit. Because there are times in my own life where I'm going, Lord, I want to hate this more. Yeah. And and we are grieved that we're not grieved enough, you know. Right. And because assurance was something, and and it's it's something that I think is just such. It's a part of the believer's life where there, there's that ebbing and flowing at times. Yes. And as I've you know wrestled with that at times, First John has just been such a comfort. Mm. And looking at those promises of. Uh, you know, do we see sin in our life? That is a fruit. And if we see sin in our life and we're bothered by that, that is a fruit. And then uh, the other fruit of confession, repentance. If we yes. confess our sins, he is faithful, faithful and just to forgive us our sins, sins. cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And and then, you know, later on that we, uh, the fruit of, of keeping the commandments and yet not not perfectly keeping it, but is there any desire to keep the commandments? Right. You know, and, and then just as it goes on, I think First John is such a wonderful place right. for for a yeah. believer to find that assurance. Right. Yeah. As opposed to seeing the law and going, oh, we should see it as a fragrant aroma of Christ. Mm, amen. You know. Amen. Yeah, that's beautiful, brother. Well Absolutely said. beautiful. Well said. One uh, another thing that yeah. uh, that 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 I've I've thought about too is within evangelism, I think that. There is a weightiness to whenever we proclaim the word. This is in Second Corinthians, I believe it's it's one or two. And I think that, you know, as we proclaim the word, but then even those who are listening proclaim the word, I think there is great, uh, great awe and um, even just reverence, even as we proclaim. And and actually, you had just mentioned that the aroma of Christ. Um, so. It's in uh, verse 15, so 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Now, this next part, I would say that for years, but before I understood total depravity, and just even just any Reformed theology, I would say I I believed the, the first part of this. And it's not that I didn't believe the second part, but I don't think I realized what the second part said. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Hmm. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And Paul wonderfully says it, who is sufficient for these things? That when we open our mouths, we are not only bringing about salvation, but in God's, in his justice... When we proclaim, we are also bringing about, dare I say, a ministry of hardening. Mm. And where it says that there are these others who, that it is those who are perishing, that literally when we proclaim the gospel, one of two things are happening. Either one, we are we are tilling soil that is going to be on the fourth soil, or we are potentially making, making a heart harder that w- they will end up rejecting Christ and God will even look at them and say, do you remember when that person witnessed to you and you rejected because of that? And seeing that whenever we open our mouths to an unbeliever, we are either, it is a holy thing that we are either bringing about a mercy, or I should say a ministry of, of softening for those who are elect, or we are bringing about a, a uh, ministry of hardening too. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... Uh, I've heard it put before mm. that the sun shines on all things, mm. but its effect on clay is very different than its effect on wax. <sighs> wax melts <laughs> underneath the sun, wow. and clay hardens underneath the sun. But it's the Amen. same sun shining on both things. Wow. But the reason 
that one is affected differently than the other is because mm. they're not the same. They're not yeah. designed the same. Wow. And so to me, that that is a great way to think about it. You mm. know, when we proclaim the gospel, yeah. that gospel is hitting two different people mm. in maybe two different ways based upon the very nature of who they are. Amen. You know, and, and God's grace, it moves in all things. And I, I'm, just, I'm just amazed, man, mm. when I think about the fact that the very mouths throughout history that have blasphemed God's name, those very words are being sustained by the grace of God. Mm. Like God's grace is allowing them to blaspheme his name. (laughs) And we want to call him unjust for not saving people. You know, like it just, it's such a perspective to think like Richard Dawkins published a book called The God Delusion. He spent, he spent his life trying to show that God is an idiotic Mm. thing to believe. And God has sustained every one of those breaths that he has done. Amen. If that well isn't said. grace, common grace, then I don't know what is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Well said. And so then when you realize, okay, like to me, if God were to stop there and I'm mm. like, wow, God's grace is amazing. He's allowing people <laughs> to blaspheme him. Well, no, no, no. God goes further and that he actually removes a heart of stone and gives mm. a heart of flesh and saves somebody. Amen. Wow. I, I, it's just, I think, I think we, as to, to quote the great R.C. Sproul, yes, we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. Mm, amen. We forget our place that we are creature and God is creator. Mm. And when we forget that distinction, we're not able to see truths like this in scripture mm. for what they are. We're not able to see the mm. heart, the hardness of our hearts for what they are. We're not able amen. to see God for who he is. Mm. Um. Yeah. Well said. And even as you had talked too about uh, Dawkins, um, I uh, I heard uh, just a wonderful testimony of someone who was a Muslim, and God used this. He so basically to summarize the whole thing, God used an atheist to lead a Muslim to Christ. Mm. And what happened was I, I knew of someone who was a Muslim in India. Okay. And grew up uh, in a, a very strict Muslim family, and while they were in this Muslim family in India, they begin to they began to read uh, Christopher Hitchens. Oh wow! And I believe it was either God is not great or something like that, okay. and they began to just watch this Christopher Hitchens stuff, and God used Christopher Hitchens to lead him out of Islam, and he actually became an atheist. Mm. Became an atheist, and he realized I can't stay here because my family will kill me. And so he found himself fleeing India, found himself in an Illinois gas station, and someone from Lakeland came, shared the gospel with him, and he came to Christ. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so God used a an atheist, atheist. a God-hater, to yeah. lead a Muslim to Christ. And wow. Christopher Hitchens has this book, or had, you know, the book that said, God is not great. Uh, God just used you to reach someone. It's <laughs> amazing. Wow. I, I find it funny because you can even mm. see... Uh, in a life like Christopher Hitchens, a little mm. bit of a side tangent, but I don't know if you've watched the documentary Collision with mm. him and Doug Wilson. I think I've seen some stuff okay. they've done together, but the the very end, Christopher Hitchens and Doug Wilson are in a car together. They're driving, mm. and Christopher Hitchens said that in a conversation with Richard Dawkins, he 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 was asked the question if you had eliminated religion from the earth and there was only one person left. Mm. And once you converted this person away from God, you would have done away with Christianity, with all religion forever. 
Christopher Hitchens said he wouldn't do it. And he said Dawkins looked at him just shocked. You wouldn't do it? And he said, I don't know why I wouldn't do it. Huh. But I just wouldn't do it. He said, and it wouldn't just be that there would be no one left to argue with. It wouldn't just be that. I just, something in me would not be able to bring myself to do it. And to me, that, as as subtle as it was, was an admonition on his part that he knows that God exists. Amen. And he knows that if he were to do that and erase God from existence, mm. that all goodness in his life would be gone as well with it. Amen. You know? And so I think that, again, it just mm. demonstrates what we've been saying. Everybody knows. Yes, amen. And because everybody knows, they are without excuse. Amen. And because everybody knows, it's not our job to convince anybody. Yes. It's our job to proclaim the gospel faithfully yes. and allow God to supply the growth where he so chooses. Yes, amen. And I think, too, a foundation of everything we're talking about is that God wrote a book before the foundation of the world. Amen. And in that book are the names of the elect that he has created, that he has written down in the book of life, creating them as vessels of mercy. And as he has done that, really all we're doing in evangelism is we're, we're proclaiming and we're, we're being the, in one sense, the means that God is using to reach his elect. And right. I, I love too, that thinking about when we share the gospel, really, I think there was a book years ago, and it was something like two. There were two brothers who were were lost. You know, they they were long lost brothers. Yeah. And in one sense, when we share the gospel, that's what we're doing. We're looking for our long lost brothers, mm. and that when we're witnessing, when we begin to see them coming to Christ, we're going, "Yes, this is my long lost brother. This is my long lost sister. Yes. who is elect." And and it's really just trying to find about who those people are. Amen. Yeah. So good. Praise God. Do you have anything else you wanted to share? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Let's see. Yeah, I think that's that that's been the the main stuff. This has been so great. This is wonderful. It's been yeah, such a joy. Yeah, I I just I I just feel compelled to mm. to just close by saying that as Christians, mm. I think sometimes we can we can get caught up in the idea of election predestination, mm. and it can kind of almost and i'm speaking more as an augustinian sure, of yeah. course but <laughs> i think we can we can sometimes become almost disillusioned with it mm. and detached almost in the same way as instead of viewing people as individual with souls mm. with eternal destinies we we start to almost i've noticed in myself at times a callous attitude mm. where i just go well if you're damned you're damned sure, that's, sure. That, that's god's will and I'm saved because God decided to save me. Mm. So so be it. And we, I, I almost at that point, like I can talk to a hardened atheist, mm. and instead of viewing them as somebody that in God's providence he might be saving, mm. he might be doing a work in them, mm-hmm. I can just kind of resolve them to being a, a child of wrath mm. and just kind of leave at wow. that. And so I, th- I just I want to offer an encouragement for us yes. to recognize that the doctrine of election and the doctrines of predestination mm-hmm. and all that, those are not meant to be used as evangelistic tools. Mm. They're meant to be a comfort to the believer. Amen. And that is the purpose in Scripture that Paul uses it um, in his writings is this is a comfort for you as a believer to mm-hmm. know that yes. you belong to God, that God is sovereign over everything. Yes. 
But we need to remember that we do not possess the mind of God. Amen. And because we don't possess the mind of God, we should be proclaiming the gospel in such a way mm. that reflects that. Amen. That reflects that because we don't know the mind of God, mm. every person we come across is somebody that we believe can be touched by the grace Amen. of God just like we were. Well said. And so instead of looking and going, this is a room full of reprobates and right. they might stay that way, this is a room full of people that God's grace can impact and save just like he saved me. Amen. And so I, I, I just think it's so important that we don't let our attitudes start to yes. think like God. Yes. Try As though we can't even do that. Right. But rather we're thinking in terms of mm. our human limitations, which is I was saved by grace, that person I'm proclaiming to mm. with, I trust that God will save them by grace too. Amen. Um, Amen. And leaving the rest to him. Amen. And I, I would totally agree with that. I think that... The, the doctrines of grace and just the, this kind of conversation of predestination election, yeah, I believe that, yeah, it should be a, a comfort. And in one sense, it, it, it can fuel an optimistic view of evangelism. Right. Because it... Hashtag it, that post mail. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of that, that optimism of when we proclaim, you know, God is doing his purposes. And yeah, well said. It's like we... We are hoping that the people we're witnessing to are saved, that they will, or I should say, will will be saved, will become believers, and that there is it, it is that proclamation of of just trusting in God with that and going, Lord, I pray that this person is. And and when I'll go and witness at the mall, one of the things I constantly pray is, Lord, I pray every person that I talk to will be on the fourth soil. Right. Might every single person that I talk to, and, and even just as I look at the, the youth ministry that, that I'm a part of right now, as I'm proclaiming to, to middle schoolers that I'm praying, Lord, might every single person in this room be on the fourth soil. Might you do a work in, in yeah. every single person's heart. So yeah, right. amen. Yeah, and I, I would even say, uh, you kind of opened with mm. this, but we see in, in Scripture that we are called, every man, all people everywhere are, are called to repent and believe. Amen. And so because of that, we should proclaim the gospel with the expectation that yes. everybody will repent and believe. Amen. Amen. And obviously we know that God has that mm. all figured out. Yeah, and so my expectation is I'm preaching the gospel mm. and trusting all men yes. to repent and believe. Amen. And if Amen. they don't, to their own condemnation. Amen. Well, well brother, thank you so much for coming on. So this has great, been man. absolutely it's been wonderful. Such a joy. Yeah. I, awesome. I just want to close this in prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then we can we can go from here. Awesome. Father in heaven, Lord, we we come before your throne amazed at who you are, amazed at your mercy, Lord, your grace. We recognize that even just breathing breath and having life in our lungs is a grace from you, Lord. Let us let us not take you for granted, Lord. Let us not take Christ for granted. Let us never boast in anything mm. yes. except for Christ. Yes. Lord, we know that we read that at the final judgment, heaven and earth flee away and there's no place for them. And ultimately, we recognize that that means that there is no place for anybody or any sin or any mm. thought or any deed, anything to hide from you and your face. And so, Lord, outside of Christ, that should cause us great terror. Mm. But inside Christ, Lord, that should great, give us the greatest comfort, Amen. knowing that when you look upon us, Lord, you see the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And God, we pray as human beings that trust your sovereignty, Lord, that you would just use us to proclaim the gospel that many, many men and women and children would be saved through it. Mm. Lord, we don't ask that you give us the words to say. We ask, Lord, that you keep us faithful. Mm. Yes. Don't, don't allow us to get caught up in the idea that we need to be eloquent or that we need to proclaim the gospel in a strategic way mm. or in a specific way. Um, but Lord, help us to just be faithful to what the Word says. Yes. We ask this um, of you, Lord, and ultimately, God, we, we stand before you as vessels that you have chosen mm-hmm. for mercy. Yes. We praise you for that. We praise you for your grace. And God, we trust that your work that you began in us, you will bring to completion. Yes. And that the work that you will begin in many lives, maybe yet unborn, Lord, you will also bring to completion. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for your total sovereignty over all things. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.